Hello, this is Joshua Bell with The Kilt and the Cloth. This was my sermon from June 6, 2021. I hope you enjoy. God and bless. My scripture this morning is taken from 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 4-20, through 20, and it skips over to 11, verses 14-15. through 15. If you'd like to read along as I read aloud, it starts on, in your pew Bibles, in the Hebrew Bible section, on page 200. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice, and only you shall solemnly warn them, and showed them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. So Samuel told all of the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from them. He said, These will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots, and to be his horsemen, and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, and some to plow his ground, and some to reap his harvest, and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. <clears throat> he will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his servants. He will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take the tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. And in that day, you will cry out because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel and they said, no. But there shall be a king over us, that we also may be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. When the messengers came from the field behind the oxen, and Saul said, What is wrong with the people that they are weeping? So they told him the news of the men of Japheth. So all who went to Gilgal, and there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. There they sacrificed peace offerings before the Lord. And there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. May God bless the reading of God's holy scripture. Amen. In this passage of scripture, you have a moment where you have a Hebrew Bible prophet who most people don't really necessarily like. Hebrew Bible prophets, 
because they tell you what, what you should be doing and then you do it the wrong thing anyway. As I was telling the early group, I was telling them, you know, it's kind of like you tell your kids, you need to clean your room. And they say, no, we will get to it eventually. And then you say, you will clean your room. And they said, we will this afternoon. No, I don't think you understand. You will clean your room. Okay, I'll do it right now. Hebrew Bible prophets have this kind of instance in their life and the way that they minister to the people of Israel. And here's a perfect example of where a prophet tells them you really should not be doing this, but they do it anyway. It starts off with this idea that here's Samuel, who is one of the most popular and famous prophets of the Hebrew Bible, mainly because he anoints King David. But let me give you a little bit of backstory about what's happening. Samuel is getting up in age. And the people of Israel are a little bit worried. They don't like Samuel's sons. One son is a criminal that nobody likes. The other one's a little pretentious that he's, well, he's kind of a pompous airbag. And none of the people of Israel want Samuel's kids to be the voice of God for the people. It's very important that you understand the distinction. A prophet in the Hebrew Bible was somebody that heard the voice of God and then guided the people of Israel whether they wanted to hear it or not. Like, go clean your room. Nobody really liked what they had to say, but they respected the fact that Samuel was chosen by God. Now, I think it's always funny because a prophet is chosen by God, not by the people. And he has the voice, and sometimes there are female prophets, that have the voice of God speaking to Israel. And whether they like it or not, they still have to do what he's telling them or she is telling them. Now for me, the fascinating part in this particular passage is in this particular verse, they say to him, the one thing you never want to hear a congregation say, Samuel, you're old. Well, thank you very much for noticing. You can hear Samuel in the background going, and your point is? Well, when you die, what are we supposed to do? Well, God will provide. God always provides. We should have trust in that God will provide in this moment. When I die, God will provide us a new prophet. Well, Samuel, we like this idea, but the problem with it is, is all the neighboring tribes around us, they all have kings, and we don't. We want to be just like our neighbors in the sense that they, they all have kings. We should have kings so that when we go to war, when you die, intent. When you die and we go to war, we need somebody to fight the battles for us. Did you hear that part in the passage? Not that we're going to go fight, but that he's going to lead us in the battles. And when it comes to the negotiating the peace treaty, we don't need prophets. We need kings because that's what everybody else has. So in this moment, Samuel becomes this person that's having to navigate between the world of the divine and the world of humankind. 
Now, my favorite part for Samuel in this moment is that he had a lot of options. He could have told him to go jump in a lake. I'll take care of it. God will take care of it. You're just going to have to deal with it. But instead, he goes to the Lord in prayer. And God says to him, listen, they're not listening to you. What makes you think they're listening to me? Let's give them what they want. So Samuel goes back to the people and he says, God has decided that it's okay for you to have a king. But then he curses him. When this king becomes in power, he's going to take over all of your children and your children's children. And he's going to make them slaves. And you know those wars that you were talking about? He's going to put them in front of the chariots so that they become fodder for cannon fire. They will die. But if you want a king, that's fine. And if that's not enough, he's going to take the first tenth. By the way, first time you've ever seen this in the Hebrew Bible is the tenth, right? Notice how Samuel uses it. He's going to take the tenth and keep it for his officers. He's then going to take the tenth of your labors and he's going to do what he needs to with it. And he, and he does all of this stuff and he says, but if you want a king, that's fine. Well, it's not fine. Samuel is really struggling with this idea. He's struggling with the idea that God has told him to go ahead and do this. In every aspect of Samuel's understanding, we read in the book of Exodus chapter 15, verses 16 through 18, that God becomes king of Israel. That they should only listen to the words of God through the prophet. He gives them the Torah. He frees them from their bondage. He fights the battles for them. He does exactly what Samuel said the king would do, but in the positive way. He frees them from their bondage from Egypt. And in the Exodus, we get this Torah, the new law. And in that moment, he establishes himself, God, as the king of Israel. It's important to point out that the emphasis is not on the evil of Israel's rejection of God and their idolatry, though this is pointed out. The emphasis is on the cost, on the high cost of what it would take to have a king, an earthly king. Now, the man does not come from the elders alone. This is kind of important for you to understand. In the 12 tribes that were established in Israel, what would happen is, is there would be a representative of each of the 12 tribes, and then they would come to the prophet, and the prophet would say, okay, Levi's tribe, you need to do this. And uh, Joseph's tribe needs to do this, Benjamin's tribe, and off they go and they do their jobs. In this particular passage, the people say to Samuel, through the elders, we want this king. Normally, that wouldn't matter. It didn't have a, a republic or a dem democracy. God was the sovereign leader. But at this moment, they're demanding a king. And as you see it, it's very clear that the people are 
of Israel are behind this movement. It starts to lead toward that this fact that these people are communicating and that the elders are representing them in such a way that says this is what we want. And for the one time that you hear it, God gives them what they want versus what God had planned to give them. And again, we've talked about this. Why is it that the Israelites want a king? Well, the part you don't hear in this story is, is that it's not just his age, it's his sons, but there is in chapter 12, we learn that there's a military threat posed by a king by the name of Nahash. He's the king of Ammon. And it's perhaps most likely the reason the Israelites are afraid. The Ark of God was out of commission, had the Ark of the Covenant, and Samuel is soon to be, and the Israelites want a king in whom they can place their trust. Now, this is hard for us as human beings, recognizing what it is that God has called us to do versus what it is that we think we should be doing. It's kind of hard for us to navigate through those waters. How is this supposed to work? How, how are we as humans supposed to hear the word of God? Well, for one, we have to listen. And in our church, we do everything as a congregation. That's evident by the congregational meeting that we had this morning. We appoint and elect people that we think will represent us in such a way that have our interests at heart. Let me give you an example of what I mean by this. In August of 2017, I accepted the call to be your senior minister here at the First Christian Church of Perry. Shortly after we moved here, I had this moment where I felt as though uh, we, we had a storm. There was a big, massive storm. I don't know if you all remember this. And, and, I, and I worked with an agency through Church World Service that allows us to create emergency cleanup buckets. And I just said to the congregation, listen, if you all donated $10 a piece or uh, you, you brought these materials, we could put a couple buckets together and I could take it to church world service and if they needed assistance, we would do it. <laughs> so I remember the first Sunday coming back and we had enough money for about 30 buckets. I was expecting 10, right? And by the time it was said and done, we were close to 50 buckets that would help entire households clean up after the, the floods that were happening. It was in Houston, I think. Just by listening to the voice of God telling you this is what we want to be doing. And over the last four years, it took a while for me to realize that we're listening to God. Not just by my own voice, but by yours as well. When you bring something together and you say, ooh, this would be a really cool thing. I think it will help our community. And our church reaches in, says, yes, let's do this. And off we go. We create this event. It saves or participates with some 400 people. And then it's over. Now to the next wave that God has presented to us. You see, this is different. This is different than when we say our king told us 
to do that. I, I'm not a king either. In this moment, we have put our trust in God and not humanity. As I was telling the early service, one of the things that makes ministers more nervous than anything is <laughs> congregational meetings. Your hope is, is that we've delineated any questions of anything that's going on in the church uh, before we get to the congregational meeting, but you always hold your breath because you have no idea what could happen at a congregational meeting. And I've not worried about that at all over the last couple of years. I've come to the realization that even in my experience in ministry, that if I'm putting my trust in God, I have to put my trust in our leaders as well as you do. And that we make the decisions not on our own merit, but on the merits of or for the people that God has put into our lives to be a part of. We put our trust in God, not in the earthly things. Exactly. <laughs> I understand Tobias. I think sometimes we get in a place where we want to judge the people of Israel. But how often do we put our trust in human institutions rather than the provisions of God? How often do we pretend that we are God and that our decision is more important than what God has put upon our hearts? This is how you know the difference. How often do we worry about the future like the people of Israel rather than trusting in our almighty God? We cannot plan for tomorrow. We can just act in today. We can think about tomorrow. We can talk about tomorrow. But at the end of the day, we put our trust in God that whatever is presented to us, God will provide. This idea of the institution taking care of our faith is an antiquated understanding. We put our faith in God. We put our faith in those that we feel that God has put upon in moments of leadership. And then we pray, like Samuel did, to guide us into the today, into the present, and knowing that God will take care of the future. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.